You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents the Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello, Long Island, New York, and around the country. This is the Weekend Crunch. I am the host, Big Easy Errol Marks, and my co-host, Speedy. PD. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. We have a great show lined up for you, but we have a special guest. He was one of the first guys that joined us on the Weekend Crush. He is back for tonight, Mr. Joshua Silverberg. Josh, what's up, man? What's up, gentlemen? How we doing? Looking forward to this great show that we're going to have. A lot of sports conversation. Well, you have a college football going on. You have college basketball. Duke ran over their opponent. I expect that to happen, even though I can't stand Shire. Who would have thought that we're almost in 2023? It just keeps going faster, and I get older. You look older, older, too. Uh, get out of here. I look older. You look older than I do. Well, that's a fact. I mean, <laughs> you're like 10 years younger than me. When you have a kid and a dog and everything at home. It's oh, is that make- what it is? It is? It's going to make you feel, and it's going to make you look older. So all I need is a kid and a dog, and I get older. 100%. There you go. <laughs> Rules of engagement. Especially when they start crawling, and you try to catch with them. They yeah. can't do it. That kid just crawls all over the place. I can't keep up with it anymore. I told my wife this the other day. I said, this is insane now. He had his first birthday. He turned one on Monday. Crazy how time just flies. When you watch kids grow up, especially your own, it's amazing to watch it happen and unfold, because you realize as you're getting older, you realize and they're getting older and years are passing by, so you just take in every moment as much as you can, for sure. Before we get into the show, I want everybody to go out and support something so very important, presented by Star Legacy and the Franchella family, A Night of Hope. Mark Martell, the voice of Freddie Mercury from the Queen movie, he will be doing a live show. There's a lot of great things happening at the event, and all you have to do on December 3rd, 2022, A Night to Remember at 5.30 p.m., the Performing Arts Center in Purchase College, 735 Anderson Hill Road, Purchase, New York, 10577. How do you find it? You can go to https.starlegacyfoundation.org. You can call up Laura at 917-582-9722. It's going to be a great event. There's so many people going to be there, including us. So definitely come. Come meet us. So many different people that are going to be there to support a great event for the Fracella family. So definitely check it out. December 3rd, 2022 at 5.30 p.m. We have a great show lined up for you a little bit later in the show. We will be talking to former commanders and Lions offensive lineman, current Michigan football radio broadcaster, John Jansen. He's fantastic. He will talk a little Michigan football, and we'll get into the NFL and about the New York football Jets. We're going to get into the Nets hiring Jacques Vaughn as head coach and LeBron James comments on Kyrie Irving's suspension and his punishment 
and he mentions that it was too harsh. LeBron James speaks out, and he says something very dumb. The Jets upset the Bills 20-17, to as I picked the Jets to win 21-17. The Jets right now feeling it after losing to New England, going into their bye week 6-3. and The Beast, Quinton Williams running all over people. This offense with the running game that they have with Robinson and Michael Carter. The Jets have all the assets to be a playoff contending team. If you're a Jet fan, you should be very, very excited. A lawsuit coming. Roger Goodell and Daniel Schneider. I'm not surprised. Roger Goodell, which if... NFL owners are not looking at this. They should. Roger Goodell just got a long-term deal from the owners. Now he's getting sued again. Not only has he attacked the doctor from CTE, he's protecting owners like Dan Schneider, who shouldn't be protected. Our three-for-all picks of the week, I am in the lead, and now pulling away from Speedy a little bit further. Yankees qualifying offers to Judge and Rizzo. Mets qualifying offers to DeGrom, Bassett, and Nimmo. I don't understand why they're doing that, because they're going on their way. Why would you give them a qualifying? offer when you know Judge is not the one to take it. And then the Rangers and Islanders, money line Mania. We'll get into the Nets first because it seems like there's so much going on with this team and this organization and you haven't heard from Kyrie Irving in about a week. That's usually good when you don't hear from Kyrie Irving on social media and throughout the press. But what is going on with this organization? We did hear that they were going to probably sign Udoka. And then all of a sudden, this whole Kyrie Irving thing just completely backfired on Sean Marks. And they decided to part ways with Udoka. I'm not surprised. I don't think Imi Udoka will ever get a job in the NBA again. But I think the Nets were very, very smart. They've decided to kind of step away from that. And then they hired Jock Vaughn. I remember Jock Vaughn on the Orlando Magic. I remember Jock Vaughn as an NBA player. Point guard wasn't very good. I don't think he was the right fit for this Brooklyn Net team. There are so many different other coaches that are available right now. I don't understand why they're going after a a guy like Jock Vaughn. That doesn't mean Jock Vaughn won't work out with the Brooklyn Nets. But when you have personalities like Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons... And even Kyrie Irving. And Kyrie Irving is going nowhere. I don't know if he's playing anymore this season. I believe he will. Because the Nets plan to make the playoffs. They plan to make a run. And the only way they plan to win anything is if they have Kyrie Irving in that lineup. But right now, the Nets don't need him because they're winning without him. But if they have plans to move forward and beat the best of the best, the Celtics, the 76ers, when they get healthy, when Harden comes back, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Miami Heat, the Cleveland Cavaliers too. The only way they're going to beat those teams is if they're at full strength. So is Jock Vaughn the right guy for the job? And if I was a Net fan, I wouldn't be excited for that. Now, Imi Odoka went to the NBA Finals, but... After this catastrophe that happened in the offseason, you don't bring somebody in. When it's hot, you don't make it hotter. So I think the Nets got it right on that term. But you bring in Jacques Vaughn. It just doesn't make sense. I understand they're trying to win. I understand they're trying to bring in a guy that will fit this organization with these personalities. Is Jacques Vaughn the guy for the job? I don't think so. I just think they're stuck right now. The Nets are just in such a bad state of dysfunction that their best chance of getting a quality coach, at least a head coach, not a person, is Wazudoka, and that's what they backed off on to avoid a PR nightmare. I don't think any legitimate NBA coaches want to inherit overpaid Ben Simmons that can't score double-digit points in a game, drama queen Kyrie Irving, and another one in Kevin Durant, so they end up going with a guy that was in the interim when Kenny Atkinson first got 
fired surprisingly three years ago and did all right. And I think that's what they're trusting there. A guy that at least has worked with those players. It's selfish. It really pushes this team under the rug because if this team doesn't win this year, who's going to want this job? Because Kevin Durant's there for four more years. Kyrie Irving's probably going to be gone at the end of the year. So more than likely, Kevin Durant is in the offseason going to be asking for another trade. So the Nets might have to part ways with him and all they're going to have is Ben Simmons. It's laughable. They didn't really have a choice. Udoka was their choice. The PR backlash was coming out. The guy went to the NBA Finals last year and the Celtics were just like, you guys can have him. We don't even want any compensation back for it. That alone speaks volumes in itself. Vaughn, it seems like they're playing well for him. They're playing hard for him. I don't know what Jock Vaughn is. I don't know if he's capable of being the head coach. Are the Nets winning a championship this year? No. Are they winning one next year? I don't think so either. Kevin Durant's probably going to want another trade again. This whole Kyrie Irving thing. And now, apparently, he met with Adam Silver. Supposedly, he could be back as soon as Sunday. And he's going to put a net uniform back on again. And everything's going to try to be all hunky-dory with them. Like nothing ever happened. And I can't fault Jock Vaughn for this. I mean, he was put in this spot. He said it during his press conference the other day. Hey, if you're the second or third choice, if you get the job, it is what it is. He said the story about his wife. He said to his wife, he was probably second or third choice for her, too. And he wound up marrying her. Did you (laughs) see what Adam Silver said? He said that Kyrie Irving's not anti-Semitic. How could you say Kyrie Irving is not anti-Semitic for what he has come out and said? This is coming from a Jewish commissioner. And now all of a sudden makes himself look bad. I disagree with Adam Silver. And the fact that Kyrie Irving is going to be back as good as Sunday, it makes absolutely no sense. Maybe some of these owners, some of these Jewish owners should come out and speak up. This guy should not be playing right now. And by the way, LeBron James coming out commenting about Kyrie Irving's punishment and saying that it's too harsh. I've been waiting for LeBron James and Chris Paul, who runs the Players Union, to open up their mouths. And I think Chris Paul is a little bit smarter than we think he is. He knows Kyrie Irving's an idiot. He doesn't want to speak for him. In his eyes, he's probably just saying, I'm going to duck under the table and hope nobody asks me any questions because I don't want to answer him. But you knew, because LeBron James has a relationship with Kyrie Irving, he was going to open his big mouth. And he finally did a week after this whole story came out. And you know why he did it? Because he doesn't want the backlash. It was so hot and steamy last week. Everybody was taking shots at Kyrie Irving, Stephen A. Smith, Chris Russo, Skip Bayless. Nobody wanted to get involved or speak up for Kyrie Irving. Now all of a sudden, it's getting cooler. Now LeBron James opens his big mouth, and you would think that he would stick up for what Kyrie Irving shouldn't have said. Speaking about a film that was anti-Semitic and attacking a culture that shouldn't be attacked, especially when there was 6 million people that died in the Holocaust. But no, LeBron James opens his big mouth and says to the NBA and to the Brooklyn Nets that it was too harsh. That he shouldn't have been suspended for five games. He should have been suspended for either one game or just fined. This is the same LeBron James that opened his big mouth when people were taking shots at China. You know why? Because he's a star in China. His companies and his brand is selling like a wildfire over there. How about his backing up of Black Lives Matter? We all did. I agree with every single thing the athlete said when all this stuff was going on almost two years ago. All the terrible things that were going on around the world. But now it's time to speak up for a culture that shouldn't have been attacked. I have Jewish blood in me. Josh, you have Jewish blood in you. It doesn't make any sense how LeBron James doesn't think he wasn't taking shots anti-Semitically to a culture that shouldn't be attacked.
that we are all built the same way. It doesn't matter what color, religion, or anything you believe in is. Because God built us the same way. And I'm not getting into politics on this show. LeBron James, you stand up for all your beliefs. How come you're not standing up for the Jewish people? How come Adam Silver, his own people, how come he doesn't stand up for what he heard Kyrie Irving say? Did anybody see Kyrie Irving back down? He didn't. And then all of a sudden, he didn't want to apologize. So you know what? The Nets suspended him indefinitely. And what happens after that? Now all of a sudden, Adam Silver sits with him. It's all fine and good. He can come back and play. He should have been fined a million dollars. And he should have been suspended for 10 to 20 games. And he should have to sit with different Jewish organizations and try to help out all the things that need to be helped out because of all this that's going on in the world. But we're not going to see that because Adam Silver and the NBA is shaking this off. It's not important to them. And I think it's ridiculous. And I know LeBron James doesn't agree with Kyrie Irving. He never agreed with Kyrie Irving, ever, when he played with him, with the Cleveland Cavaliers when they won the championship. How many times did we hear Kyrie Irving speak out after he went to the Celtics and said, I didn't know what it was like to be the guy on a team. And now I know and I respect LeBron James even more because now I'm playing on a team where they're depending on me more than I believe I can give them. Then he goes over there with Kevin Durant and you see that debacle. I don't understand the NBA. I don't understand this whole situation. We all need to come together. It doesn't matter what you look like, what you believe in. Sports brings us together. We all watch sports. Why? We love the competition. It gets us away from our lives, our families, the craziness with our jobs. All I want is the players to respect all the cultures. And that's the problem with the commissioners in professional sports. They all see it going on and they don't speak for everyone. And if the NBA doesn't see it, the NFL doesn't see it, the NHL doesn't see it, everybody should respect everybody's culture. And that's where Kyrie Irving didn't see it. And that's why Kyrie Irving is a selfish, good for nothing. I'm disgusted with Kyrie Irving. The NBA should be disgusted with him and all the ownership and all the people around the world that watch the sport and respect the sport as much as all of us do should look at this and completely wash our hands with that guy, including his jerseys. Because it's not worth putting any money in that guy's pocket but he doesn't care about everything that's going on in the world when we come back we're going to get into the new york jets six and three in their bye week knocking off the buffalo bills they finally knock off a good quarterback in josh allen when we come back we'll get into the jets fantastic week as they head up to new england to city slick as they're looking for revenge after getting knocked off in metlife stadium so when we come back we'll get into some jets we'll get into the roger goodell and dan schneider lawsuit here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to the Weekend Crunch. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS and Android, WWSRN. You can check out all our shows throughout the week, different stories that we post, and everything going on in sports. Check out the World Worldwide Sports Radio app. I will sit here and raise my hands and cheer because I was probably the only Jet guy that picked the Jets to beat the Buffalo Bills last week. For all the people taking shots at Zach Wilson, look like a self-proclaimed high school football player. 
He changed everybody's mind after going into MetLife Stadium and knocking off Josh Allen and that great Buffalo Bills defense. But not only that, they lost Brees Hall. James Robinson was traded for. The Jets gave up a sixth-round draft pick for him. It took him a week to figure out the offense against New England. And then, against Buffalo, he started to find a burst. And so did Michael Carter. And you saw this offensive line dig in deep and showed everybody, even with a glued offensive line, Dwayne Brown, he was supposed to be a starting left tackle. He was hurt in the beginning of the season. George Font moved to the left tackle position. He gets hurt. Then you move Elijah Vera Tucker to the right tackle position. Dwayne Brown comes back. You had Max Mitchell. He was the right tackle. Then he gets hurt. Herbig starting left guard. You look at this team. This team was glued together on the offensive line, but so much depth. When was the last time you've seen the New York Jets have so much depth? And their defense is playing at a high form. And when you look at Quinn Williams, and ever since that Bengals game, and him screaming at the defensive line coach, saying that we don't need to rush six, we can rush four and still dominate. And this is the same Quinn Williams that Ubrick was only starting 60% of the snaps in the beginning of the season. And as soon as he had that outburst, he moved him. Did things with Quinn Williams that we haven't seen since he's come into the NFL. Playing almost 82 and a half snaps for the New York Jets. And this defense is completely different with Carl Lawson. Jermaine Johnson, who's been out now. You saw what he did against Josh Allen in the fourth quarter. Rushing him and using his speed. This team has it all. Three shutdown corners. Sauce Garner, who leads the league in PFF. DJ Reed, who was fifth in PFF. Then you have Michael Carter, the second, who is 15th in PFF. This team has three predominant great corners on their team. Their safeties are playing very good too. Whitehead, Joyner. This is a great secondary and when everything is working on all cylinders, you see the dominance of what this defense could be. And Zach Wilson does not need to be that superstar quarterback right now. Next year he might be. All the talent that they have coming back next year, I expect the Jets to be even more talented than they were this year. But all they need to do is get Zach Wilson to throw 25-30 throws a game between 65 and 70% completion percentage. If he does that, the Jets win. Least amount of mistakes. This team can compete against anybody. They can run the ball, dominate the line of scrimmage. They've done everything what you expect a good team to do against a very good team. Knocking off the Buffalo Bills, this was a statement game. Now you gotta go into New England and shut down the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick after they embarrassed you in your own stadium at MetLife. Establish the line of scrimmage very well against the Buffalo Bills. Buffalo's, both their fronts have been very good so far this season, and the Jets patching together that offensive line beat the Buffalo Bills inside. Bob Miller had one sack in the second quarter, but the second half, the Jets did a great job containing him, and on their defensive line, you mentioned Quinn Williams, but they got consistent interior pressure and made Josh Allen make a lot of the mistakes he made in his second year in the league when he was taking 10-plus yard sacks and forcing bad throws. If the Jets can win the line of scrimmage like that, it's going to be very easy for the rest of their defense to be as creative as they're capable of and the offense to be as creative as they want to be in a Kyle Shanahan system and Michael LaFleur you saw him at least do concepts that are the opposite of what you would expect Michael Carter was running up the middle which is not his strength James Robinson was being used as a receiving back which is not normally his strength and that threw off a team like the Buffalo Bills I think the Jets on all levels outcoached the Buffalo Bills as far as a long-term trajectory this is a championship caliber defense so if they can get some level of a consistent passing game in the playoffs they could definitely could be dangerous in the fourth quarter six and a half 
minutes left of the game. The Jets had the ball. They ran the ball down their throats. And nobody would have thought that the Jets were going to do that against a great defense like that. And they started on their own 10-yard line. And they ran it down the seam the whole time. All the way down to the Buffalo Bills 5-yard line. What you want to see with the Jets. The Jets want to be a ground and pound team. This is where they can dominate the line of scrimmage. And with an offensive line that strong. And with a defensive line playing the way they are. And the great secondary the Jets have. They can compete against anybody. I believe Zach Wilson is more than good enough to take this team all the way where they want to be this year. And that's the playoffs. Are they winning the Super Bowl this year? I don't think so. But I've seen crazier things. But if they have a defense this good and they can stay semi-healthy and they have a healthy Quentin Williams and Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed, CJ Mosley has been fantastic. Kawan Alexander, Quincy Williams. Everybody's played great football for this New York Jets team. 6-3 and three going into the bye week. We haven't seen a 6-3 and three season for the New York Jets going to their bye week. I don't remember. 10, 15 years ago. It's incredible. You should be excited if you're a New York Jet fan. Zach Wilson, I believe, is the guy. Just let the kid figure things out. Stop booing him. Even when he was bad the week before against the New England Patriots, and he threw three interceptions, he forced the ball. If he doesn't force the ball, he doesn't throw on his back foot, this kid could do everything a top quarterback can do. He can step into the pocket. He's one of the best scramblers in the league. He can run. He can do everything Justin Fields is doing. Not as fast, but he can still run and still do the things as an athletic quarterback can do in this league. This is a Jets team that mirrors a lot of the 2012 Seahawks, where they have the defense very much in place, very well-rounded. And Marshawn Lynch was the core guy there, and they had a decent O-line, kind of like what the Jets have. But the passing game was still missing. You had a young quarterback like the Seahawks had with Russell Wilson at the time, and a receiving core that was young and growing. Who says the Jets can't even just make that statement if they win a playoff game? Think about how much depth the Jets have on that offensive line. Max Mitchell and George Font coming back. A tackle that could have made the Pro Bowl last year to the right tackle position. And Max Mitchell, their rookie, who's playing fantastic before he got hurt. And shout out to Robert Sala and Joe Douglas. They have done everything they expected to do. Even when I attacked Robert Sala a couple of weeks ago with, I'm taking receipts, I take back everything I said about this guy. This guy is proven that he can coach in this league. This is a guy that has proven that he can lead a team all the way to the promised land. Something that the Jets haven't done in 50 years. So I am very excited. If you're a Jet fan, you should be excited. And next year, they're going to be even more talented. Because they have Brees Hall coming back, Elijah Very Tucker, Makai Beckham. Who are they losing in the offseason? George Font, maybe Corey Davis. They might do something with Mosley's contract. They bring him back. He's definitely the leader of that defense. This team has a lot of youth and a lot of talent. You have to get rid of some of the young talent, like Elijah Moore, who doesn't stop opening his mouth. But Garrett Wilson's a star, eight catches, 92 yards against a great secondary. Everything that we saw this past week could show you that this team is on its way to be a contender. So, very exciting if you're a New York Jet fan. As far as this lawsuit is concerned, and I know a lot of people are wondering, what's going to happen to Roger Goodell and what's going to happen to Dan Schneider? I have believed this to happen for a very long time. Time. This story really rests on Roger Goodell, not Dan Schneider, because Dan Schneider should have been pushed out a long time ago. The fact that Roger Goodell has been hiding things, protecting Dan Schneider as long as he has, if this story starts to reach a major lawsuit by the Attorney General, the NFL and the owners have to look at Roger Goodell, and this could absolutely shoot him in the foot in Roger Goodell, and he could be on his way out. I don't know why this guy still has a job after the CTE story, players 
and their lives are at risk, not protecting the players in their best needs and their best interests. They have families. They have lives after the game of football. It was all about money. It was all about the billion dollars they were getting from endorsements. They never acknowledged the players after they retired with all the injuries that they have. The players union won them $100 million. What's $100 million doing for thousands and thousands of players? Roger Goodell didn't do the right thing. And now they're figuring out even more that this guy is an evil man. If he does get sued and the NFL gets sued for whatever the attorney general wants to attack him with, I think he should be fired. Absolutely. He's protecting a guy that has had a flurry of issues. The cheerleading incident, all the players that have had injuries, that field being just a mess. Doctors misdiagnosing a Trent Williams cancer treatment in 2019. And Roger Goodell is just going to protect him. Why? Because Dan Snyder is one of the richest owners and makes a lot of money. The owner union is tight. Whatever. But that doesn't mean you have to protect somebody that's doing corrupt things. This guy has been stashing money from season ticket holders, pocketing it for himself. Meanwhile, that could be used to help those players out. Get a renovation on that. Help the poor. How's that? Yeah. And there are owners that do that. Not Dan Snyder. He just wants to pocket it for himself. And there's going to be a lot more stemming from this because they brought the attorney general in. And don't be surprised if it expands further to some agencies as well. Once you get politicians involved with this, it all starts to hit the fan. We've seen this with baseball, with the steroid situation and Bud Selig. You had the House of Representatives and all these players had to stand in front of the Congress. I cannot see this going well for Roger Goodell. We know what Dan Schneider is. He doesn't belong as an owner in the NFL. But Roger Goodell, everybody's been protecting this guy and this guy has been protected by the owners. How could the owners protect this guy right now from a bad, evil man like Dan Schneider? And if he does get sued and the NFL gets sued by the Attorney General and they find out that Roger Goodell had anything to do with it, he should be fired from his position. I don't care how much money he's brought in for these owners and for these players. This man is an evil man. We've seen what he did with CTE. He did nothing to protect the players. Try to ruin a doctor's image his whole career because he was coming out and trying to protect the players. He is a despicable man. And the NFL will investigate this story away from Roger Goodell, who right now is the commissioner of of football, but maybe not for long. Hopefully. And now our three-for-all picks of the week as I am up. Three. All right, we'll start this week with the Dallas Cowboys at the Green Bay Packers. The over-under for this game is 44. I'm actually going to take the Packers here. Ezekiel Elliott hurt and Tony Pollard step up well, but can it happen in a second time in a row? I don't know about that. Bye week momentum. The Cowboys riding high. I think that'll hurt them a little bit. And the Packers, I don't know if they're this bad forever. Last week is a wake-up call for Aaron Rodgers. I also like the match of Jair Alexander to contain CeeDee Lamb, and the other receivers really haven't gotten involved. Aaron Rodgers, he knows how to win close games against the Cowboys. So I'm going to take the Packers in this one on the over. I'm taking the Cowgirls, and I'm taking the Cowgirls on the over. I think this defense is for real. Micah Parsons is a beast of a man. Everything that we've seen so far of this Cowboys team all rests on Dak Prescott. And in a big game like this, I don't know what the Green Bay Packers are. I love Aaron Rodgers. I love what he could do on the field, but they don't have any weapons offensively. They have a good running game in Dylan Jones. He hasn't used them. When they fall behind, they start to contend throwing the ball out in the open, and that's where he gets into trouble because he doesn't have anybody that can catch the ball. I'm taking the Cowboys on the over. Monday Night Football, the Washington Commanders at the Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles, the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles. 43 and a half is the over-under. I think the Eagles stay undefeated. This is a very close line. 
I think the Washington defense has been improved enough where they can keep them in the game for a while. The Eagles are a very strong first-half starting team. They'll be the opposite in this game. I think Washington will be able to contain them in the first half. The Eagles will get it going late. I like the rushing yards for Jalen Hurts. I like the matchup for Dallas Goddard over the middle of the field against a weaker linebacker and safety corp. And Philly's defense, I think, will be able to stop Antonio Gibson, which if you do that, we haven't seen the Washington offense be able to be that good. So I'm going to take the Eagles. This is a very close line. I'm going to go under, though. I've got Philly, too. I don't know what's going on with Washington. I do like Henneke. He has a good connection with McLaurin. I expect McLaurin to have somewhat of a decent game, but I think Philly's the better team, and they're the faster team, and they have the most talent. Jalen Hurts is an MVP candidate. I have Philadelphia on the under as well. Sunday Night Football, the LA Chargers at the San Francisco 49ers, 45 and a half. I think this is the 49ers. I think this is a blowout. I think this is a very tough matchup for the Chargers, who might not have Khalil Mack this week, still don't have Joey Bosa. The injury to JC Jackson is going to make it hard against that receiving core, which likely will get Debo Samuel back. And the Chargers just allowed 200 rushing yards to the Falcons, who have a bunch of rookie running backs. Imagine what Christian McCaffrey and maybe Elijah Mitchell could do. Kyle Juszczyk, Debo Samuel with that Kyle Shanahan scheme. So I think this is the 49ers. This is a blowout on the over. I've got the 49ers in this game, too. I love Debo Samuel. He's healthy. Now he has another guy that could take the pressure off Christian McCaffrey. Hayuk on the outside. They have a tremendous amount of weapons, even on the inside with Kittle. I love this team. Defensively, they're beastly. I think they could do everything. Am I a Jimmy Garoppolo fan? No, I'm not. But with all these weapons, even Jimmy can't screw this up. I have the 49ers on the over. And I don't think this is a blowout. Justin Herbert, he will stay in this game because of his talent. And I don't think this Chargers defense is that bad. When we come back, our very special guest, we will be talking to former commanders and Lions, offensive linemen, and current Michigan football radio show broadcaster, John Jansen, here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. Remember, kill us on show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS and Android, WWSRN. Search our show, The Sports Lounge, every single Wednesday and Thursdays. Wednesdays at 7 p.m., Thursdays at 9 p.m. You can listen to us and watch us live with all our great guests and all the shows that we have on our network throughout the country. Great stories. The app is fan-friendly, so check it out. Download it! We have our very special guest. We're very excited to have him on. The crazy, nutty person that he is. We are now talking to former commanders and Lions offensive lineman and current Michigan football radio broadcaster, John Jansen. Johnny boy, what's up, man? Hey, how's it going? I'm glad you guys caught me before the Lions <laughs> snapped me up as the next head coach. <laughs> <laughs> that might happen, John. <laughs> hey, I'm just waiting for the phone to ring. Now that I know it's a possibility, trust me, I'm getting my staff ready. I'm getting everything ready. Half those guys were my teammates anyway, so I could just inherit that staff and be all right. Well, don't tell Jeff Saturday that. <laughs> How about that? That's oh. amazing to me yeah. do you think this is a full-on tank or does Jim Ursay really believe that this is a good move it's so interesting when we talk about Jeff Saturday I have always liked him as a center Peyton Manning spoke highly of him saying that he's one of the smartest players he's ever played with he's a great center in this league he was one of the elite centers in the NFL fantastic player but then you look at Jim Irsay. This is a man that a lot of people don't like. On and off the field, he does a lot of stupid things. He says a lot of stupid things. And him getting involved with this just shows you the state of where this organization is right now. So when you try to take something and try to make it stick, does it really stick? 
Will it stick? If it does, he looks like the smartest guy in the world. If it doesn't, he looks like the dumbest owner in the NFL. So do I think this is going to work? I don't think so. It doesn't make sense. But again, we've seen crazier things, John. You've seen crazier things. You've been an NFL player, and you now are a radio guy. So you can see crazier things happen. But do I think this will work this year? One way or another, this team is done. This offensive line is not the same offensive line. We believe they were going to be in the beginning of the season. They can't stay healthy. Taylor can't stay healthy. They can't get the ball to Pittman because they have a quarterback that doesn't even know his own name. I don't know what's going on with this team. You mentioned that you think I've seen crazier, and you would think I had, especially <laughs> since I spent a decade in Washington, and my first year was when Dan Snyder bought the team. We oh. had Marty Schottenheimer, who was fired after one year, after going 0-5 <laughs> and then finishing up 8-8. Eight and eight. We had a thing rolling. Then he brings in Steve Spurrier. We hired an offensive coordinator in Jim Zorn, found out that oh, yeah. that's not the way you're supposed to do it. So instead of hiring the coach, we just promoted him to head coach. And we all know how that went. So I have seen some stuff in my day. However, if you're trying to sell this too, in terms to your fan base, all you got to do is say, hey, we're going to give this a shot. We're hoping that Jeff Saturday settles things down. We're working on the culture. And then you shut up. You don't start <laughs> talking about quartiles of quartiles of quartiles. He compared him to Don Shula. There was a couple of other coaches that he was talking about. And as he's continuing to run his mouth, I'm sitting there going, we can accept the fact that you're tanking. We can accept the fact that you're going to play Sam Ellinger and not two quarterbacks that have been to Super Bowls. <laughs> but if you would just stop talking, this would go better. It is a bold strategy. I don't even mind it like that is in the season. You're going to try something bold, at least experiment with it now, because I don't know if any coach would necessarily save the Colts season. We've seen baseball and basketball. A lot of ex-players, young players get it right away. Coaching. Yeah, hell, Philly yeah. made a change. Look where they're at. They were in the World Series. They didn't win it all, but they were in the World Series. Yeah. We are talking to former NFL offensive tackle and current Michigan football radio broadcaster, John Jensen. What were your thoughts on the Jets? Everybody, the week before, after the debacle of the Patriots, and everybody, including all the Jets, thought that they were the better team, they had the most talent, they got beat by a team that shouldn't even have been in the same field as the New York Jets, and then going against a Buffalo Bills team that nobody thought anybody in the world believed that they were going to actually continue to play the way they played it defensively against a very good offensive line, a very good defense. Were you surprised that the Jets did something like that against a great team like that? If anybody says they're not surprised, they're lying to you. That is a shock that the Jets would beat Buffalo Bills. But you're also looking at it going, the Jets are now 6-3. and three. That, to me, is a shock from what I expected at the beginning of the season. Now, Zach Wilson, is he the same as Josh Allen? No, but that just goes to show you that any given Sunday, anything can go down. You can beat anybody in this league. We've seen it time and time again. Let's just go back to Indianapolis. Who thought last year, at the end of the year, with Indianapolis, playoffs are on the line, that the Jacksonville Jaguars were going to beat them? <laughs> Nobody was picking that. The Chargers the and the Raiders could have got in, too, and that right, was the whole yeah, tie controversy. It was unbelievable. I mean, like, there was so much drama going into that and we're like there's no chance that Jacksonville beats Indianapolis and then all of a sudden you turn it on you're like holy cow this is going on it's the same thing with the Jets and the Bills Josh Allen is having an MVP type of season but it goes to show if you throw two interceptions and you turn the ball over you don't play to the level that you are expected to play at every single Sunday then you can go to the Jets and lose 
because they could play their best game. And I'm not saying they did, but you've got guys on that sideline that are NFL players. And the Jets aren't the Jets from three years ago. They're a team that they may be young. They're not going to beat a whole lot of Buffalo Bill opponents. But right now, they're sitting at six wins. Hell, in Detroit, we would love to have Robert Sala and be at six wins. Well, they had a chance to get Robert Sala. We could have had Robert Sala. We could have kept everybody that was born and raised in Detroit. (laughs) We would have a damn good team. When you guys are done with Sauce Gardner, after this year, trade him back to Detroit. <laughs> and we'll take him back. Or we'll you will. Jeff Okuda, we'll give you Jared Goff. We'll just throw that one Thank in for Thank you. Free. Great trade. We know you can't be a GM in the NFL. <laughs> no, but I do have head coaching resume. There My you son's go. team, who is a sixth-grade team, we took him to the Super Bowl, so I think I'm as qualified as Jeff Saturday is. <laughs> Jeff Saturday could be the first trendsetter. You could be the bigger trendsetter, where you're going to be more successful. And then all of a sudden, you're going to get all these offensive linemen that are becoming head coaches again. <laughs> It'll be a whole ripple effect. Hey, That's why we all become broadcasters, because we actually do know the game. Going into this offseason with Michigan getting knocked off in the Final Four, going into the offseason, nobody thought that this team was going to be a top-four team. Jim Harbaugh, a lot of people believed he could have been fired in the offseason because of what he did in those games. But losing Hutchinson to the NFL, nobody thought that this team, this recruiting class, was going to have the season they're having. Right now, they're ranked third. Are you surprised where Michigan is right now? I am a little surprised, because the biggest question mark was defense. You lose David Ojabo, who could have been a first-round pick if Mm -hmm. not for the Achilles injury. Aiden Hutchinson, obviously number two overall. Dax Hill. Josh Ross, who's in Baltimore, your middle linebacker. I mean, you go right down the list of guys that were high producers, not just a guy that was a Heisman contender, but guys that were producing and guys that were leaders on the team. You're wondering, where does the production come from? You lose Mike McDonald, your defensive coordinator. He goes to Baltimore. You get Jesse Minter. Same concept. They were coaching together under John Harbaugh at Baltimore, different voice, different tenure, different temperament. All of that stuff is different on defense. Now you're looking nine games in, They've got more sacks than they had last year, more quarterback pressures. They're letting up less yardage on the defense in terms of the ground game. It's a better defense than it was last year, and that's the surprise. Offensively, I think everybody believed that this was going to be a high-powered offense. And By high-powered, I say you got a running back that can run for 150, 170 every single week. We're not necessarily airing it out. We have that ability but we're not using it right now because we just haven't been forced to. And I asked offensive coordinator Matt Weiss, same question I asked Josh Gaddis last year. Why don't you throw the ball more? Because when you go against Georgia, you're going to have to be able to do that. We found that out last year, and they've gone deep a couple of times. And he said, right now, like, right now it's not our job to beat ourselves. It's the same thing Josh Gaddis said last year. We're still working on those things in practice, but why would we go out there and risk the football if we don't have to? We'll just hand it off to Blake Corum, get another high contender in the performance that he's been putting through this year so why would we risk ourselves we'll take our shots when we have to they just don't feel it necessary everybody thought beyond robinson was the only running back that could win the heisman nope not blake Corum has entered the chat so i wanted to ask about the comparison to last year's team do you see anything different when it comes to an identity perspective with this michigan team in comparison to what they were last year jj mccarthy being a quarterback over Cade mcnamara do you think that is a big difference and maybe on the defensive side too it's a difference in skill set jj is much much more mobile. He'll extend plays. He's got a stronger arm. He can go deep if he wants to. He can go deep on the run. The one thing that he
he has done, especially over the last three or four weeks, when he's more comfortable in making that decision of, hey, no one is open, especially when he sees man coverage. This is when he's been really good at making that decision of, no one's open, they're dropping everybody, and I've got two high safeties, I'm going to go ahead and tuck it and run it because there's nobody there at the second level that even knows he's running, and he's picked up some key first downs in doing so. But the identity for Michigan offensively is still run the football and be physical, dominate the line of scrimmage. Last week against Rutgers, they get the ball, and it drives me nuts that there is lack of creativity inside the red zone. Against Michigan State two weeks ago, they get in the red zone and they kick five field goals. We're going to prove a point. We're going to get inside the five-yard line, and we're going to run the ball four times. First and goal from the four. You run it. Okay, now it's second and goal from the two. You run it. It's third and goal from the one. You run it. Now it's fourth and goal from the one-foot line. They're running right up the middle because they feel like they can. They want to make sure that their offensive line is capable of doing that. I would like to see a little bit more creativity. They did get in the end zone more. Seven trips in the red zone, six touchdowns. But that's where, you know, I talk about identity offensively. It's a smash mouth offense. That's what they want to be. That's what they're going to do. Luke Schoonmaker, their tight end, is going to be one of their key targets every single week. Defensively, this is where it's the change is in terms of identity. They don't have the Aiden Hutchinson up front that's going to win a one-on-one battle more times than not. They've got guys that can do that, like Yabioki, the transfer in Leighton Camp. He's been a great addition. Mike Morris is, is one of those guys that has come on as a senior and really had a good year. When there's a big play that has to be made, he's the guy that's making it. Chris Jenkins is another guy. Mozzie Smith, the number one freak from the athletic. He's a stud and he's having a good year, but they don't have that one guy that can just flip that switch and say, on this play, I'm going to win. They're getting pressure from every level. Mikey Sandra still coming off the edge. Nickelback. Will Johnson, who is an absolute stud. Wearing Charles Woodson's number two. He's got a lot to live up to. He's a five-star freshman. He's playing well had his first interception against Rutgers, but they're bringing guys from every single level to create pressure on the quarterback. They're ahead of the game in terms of pressures and sacks than they were last year. It's just not coming from one or two guys. It's coming from everybody. We look at right now the college ranking, and after Georgia won the national championship, everybody thought that they were going to take two steps down. They lost a lot of players in the draft this year, top-end players, top defensive players. But defensively, this team is still beasting. Offensively, they still can run the ball. They still can throw the ball. And then you look at Ohio State quarterback play, Heisman candidate, Michigan number three, TCU fourth right now in the uh, college voting. They should have been fourth to begin with. Yes, and then Alabama gets knocked off this past week, falls to 7 and two, and now LSU, which looked really bad in the beginning of the season, all of a sudden hops all the way as the seventh ranked right now. Tennessee, some people thought, was the best team in the country a couple of weeks ago. Now, all of a sudden, they lose a game, and they fall all the way out from the top four. Are you surprised that it keeps jumping back and forth? But we all know it's Georgia, Ohio State since the beginning of the season. When the first poll comes out, everybody knows there's so much football to be played. It came out last Tuesday. Georgia and Tennessee, who are what, one and three, they're playing each other. We already know that somebody is going to drop out of that top four. Michigan and Ohio State are going to play the last Saturday in November. So somebody is going to drop out of there. And I know there was a lot of people that were up in arms that TCU wasn't ranked four. When you look at strength of schedule and that win over Oklahoma is not aging well, the win over Kansas is not aging well, but at the time they were top 20 teams. And you've got to go with how they were ranked at the time. They played four ranked teams in a row. And yeah, they had to go into overtime with Oklahoma State, but they're a good 
football team. They don't have a lot of NFL talent, but they're a good football team, and they're going to be tested this week. They're going to Austin, and if Quinn Ewers plays to the level that he should be playing at at Texas, that's going to be a hell of a battle. Going into Austin anytime is hard to win, and if they can do it, they're going to prove that they belong in that college football playoffs. But I don't know if anybody from the Pac-12 really belongs. It's been six years since they've had a seat at the table. I don't think Washington State got in that year either. Penn State, I thought, should have gotten in that year. I 100% agree with you. But you look and you say, I thought early on in the season, until Utah lost a couple of games, they were the most physical. They were the most able to match up with a Georgia and not necessarily win. I'm just saying be on the field and match up with an Ohio State. Yet they've got two losses. And you look at LSU and you say, well, you lost the opener to Florida State. Florida State, eh. My and favorite it, football team. Oh, yeah, you're a Florida State guy? I'm a huge Florida State fan from the uh, 90s. You're a Florida State guy. I can't believe <laughs> that you're comparing Sauce Gardner to Deion Sanders. <laughs> Come on. Stats say one thing, but primetime says a whole different I deal. Know. We'll see. Yeah. And you <laughs> go back. Me under the that bus. doesn't age well. Oregon losing 49-3 to doesn't age well. Tennessee, I know that they beat Alabama. They allowed 49 points in that game. Are you kidding me? Like, what type of defense allows 49 points? I think the college football playoff committee is going to be pressed into some tough decisions at the end of the year, but there's so much football to be played between now and then. And that was my problem with Clemson, number four. And, like, Clemson they only blows. dominated one game. <laughs> that is actually a good win. The NC State win they dominated was the only good win they had. They should have lost to Syracuse. I know. Last week, everybody's like, oh, they're going to South Bend. Yeah, they're going to South Bend to lose. <laughs> they are not an offense that you can trust. Who's their quarterback? We don't even know who that is. I was going through a lot of even the top ten. There's a lot of those teams that I thought that would beat Clemson. They have one quality win. You have to start number four. And TCU, like you were saying, has four top 20 wins. Yeah, so here's a question for you guys. Right. North Carolina, if they run the table, they're a one-loss team. Does an ACC champ get in to the college football playoffs? Because pretty soon you're only going to have a couple of teams that are undefeated. Right. Then you've got to decide, are you taking a one-loss Pac-12 champ? Are you taking a one-loss ACC champ? What are you doing with the Big 12? I mean, TCU right now is one of those undefeated teams. Do we think they're going to be undefeated running the table all the way through. I think they're going to slip up, and it could be this weekend against Texas, Michigan, and Ohio State. Somebody's going to have one loss between the two of them. If North Carolina runs the table, are they going to get into is Mac Brown as old as he is? is he, are we going to see him dancing his way into the college football playoffs? <laughs> That's the same question, though, with Oregon, too, because it's the same position. Like, they're a one loss. Pac-12 team and they're only lost to Georgia. Like, are you going to hold that against them? I, yeah, I know you said the 49-3 to is definitely a bad loss, but UNC's one loss to Notre Dame right now. How will they finish? And we know they've had some bad losses this year already. The other one that's interesting, too, is one loss, second SEC team besides Georgia. Tennessee's right now in that boat and also Ole Miss. Now, if they beat Alabama, that could be a big thing leap for them. How about so, UCLA? We right. know a couple of guys yes. that play for UCLA. Yeah, UCLA and USC are all going to be in that same boat, too. And Oregon's going to gain more if they do end up winning those games because th their schedule gets harder now, too. So the wins will be more quality. It's now, so if USC beats Oregon, that's another question. It's so. so interesting how the board chooses through points. When you're looking at the SEC and the ACC, how do you go from one point to the other and say, this is 30 points, this is 40 points? How do they do that? I would love to sit in that room and listen to the process that they go through and just argue with them because the arguments are going to be endless. You could argue for a USC. 
you could argue for UCLA. Now, obviously, those teams are going to play. Here's what it's going to come down to as well. We've seen one-loss teams get in there. We've seen Ohio State jump a Penn State to get in without playing a conference championship game. Michigan and Ohio State, if they meet at 11-0, and 0, which they both should, and that game is an instant classic. See, it comes down to the wire. Both teams are playing great. Don't we agree that they're probably two of the best teams in the country, no matter who wins or loses that game? Do we get two Big Ten teams in? We've seen two SEC teams. How strong will those remaining SEC teams? If Alabama loses a third game, does Tennessee's win against Alabama look that good anymore? Everybody loves Tennessee. And when they lost against Georgia, everybody said they still have a chance. The only way they have a chance is either TCU, Michigan, or Ohio State, or Georgia loses a game. I don't think Georgia or Ohio State's losing a game. Ohio State will lose November 26th. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's not forget about that one. Yeah, we they know about last year. They had that one wrapped up last year, too. They came into the big house and they got their ass hit. Handed to him. <laughs> this is a different Ohio State team. It is, yeah. Jackson Smith and Jigba, is he going to play this year or not? That's true. Last year, <laughs> they took it to them. That was an epic day. I rushed the field because that was before I was doing the color for the games. <laughs> and so I rushed the field with my kids and I was dancing around and my kids said, Dad, this is the happiest we have ever seen you. My oldest at the time was 15 years old. And I said, you're right, because it's the first time we beat these assholes in your <laughs> lifetime. And I still stand by the fact that you guys got screwed in 2016, too. <laughs> <laughs> that first down that shouldn't have been a first down. That debatable. Game. It's debatable. Hey, I want to ask you guys this question yeah. because Blake Corum is in the conversation for the Heisman Trophy. Mm-hmm. Now, he's not a quarterback, so he probably won't win it. There are other quarterbacks involved. Obviously, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Hendon Hooker. How about Caleb Williams? If Caleb Williams was playing in the Big Ten or if Caleb Williams was in the SEC, would he be the front runner right now for the Heisman Trophy? Interesting question because is he going to be able to take on those level of defenses too? Oklahoma, when he was there, he got the cakewalk of defenses. Even though they were improved last year, would he have that same kind of tradition? Now a lot of people are saying that with the Pac-12 this year. A lot of these Pac-12 teams do not have great defenses defenses and I don't know if he would have those kinds of numbers in the SEC or the Big Ten. Yeah, but he'd also have a heck of a lot more publicity. True. Now, the other question is too, what team are you going to? You're not going to get helped up by Lincoln Riley and all those transfer guys they brought in too. Travis Dye's really good. Jordan Addison's really good when he's healthy So, Are you going to get that same level of talent offensively? With the Big Ten, they recruit great with both, but they saw a lot of great he also He's playing on a very good quarterback program. Lincoln Riley knows yeah. a little thing or two when it comes to quarterbacks. Edge Jalen Hurts. NFL quarterbacks... Most of these kids, they want to go through Lincoln Riley because a lot of them become successful in the NFL and have done pretty well ever since they went to that next level. So I think Caleb Williams will be up for a Heisman Trophy. Numbers show that he should be. The question is, you compare and contrast some of these other quarterbacks, you look at the program, does the program fit the quarterback that is going to be in the process of winning that prestige Heisman Trophy? If he doesn't have Lincoln Riley, is he this good? Because even if they're on a team that might be more talented or higher ranked than USC is, is it automatically going to translate? for what he is because he was kind of raw last year too. He took over mid-season mm. for Spencer Rattler who Errol's not a big fan of. <laughs> I hate him. I can agree with you on that. Since he's come out of high school, QB1 on Netflix, I watched that kid. And I know quarterbacks are cocky. He is one of the most cockiest people I have ever seen. You haven't done anything. You were in high school. You're the number one prospect. Who cares? Go play college ball. Go to the NFL and have to compete against all the other quarterbacks that were just as good as you or even better. This kid, since day one, 
one. The stories that you heard about him in high school and then his parents, he walks around like he's won something. What have you won? You've won nothing and you couldn't even keep your job in Oklahoma. Where are you now? South Carolina. South Carolina. You were supposed to be a top draft pick. You're not even going to be drafted in the first three rounds. Neither Spencer Rattler nor Oklahoma wins in this. He's a joke. Right. That was a little condemning of Lincoln Riley. Could Lincoln Riley recruit and develop his own quarterback because it was a transfer of Baker Mayfield. It was a transfer of Kyler Murray. It was a transfer in Jalen Hurts. Obviously, he was recruited by Lincoln Riley, but that was kind of the thing that Lincoln Riley said, as soon as I saw this kid, this is the kid that was built to run my offense. And when you are that type of talent and you can't even be productive for the coach that says you fit my offense perfectly, yet in year two, I'm going to bench you. What has Spencer Rattler done? <laughs> He's done nothing. He's a waste of space. But John, we really appreciate your time. As always, we want to get you on before the season's over because I want to know your take. If Michigan makes it to that Fab Four, where does Michigan go? Do they win the national championship finally? The two favorites, Ohio State and Georgia. I know you hate Ohio State. You're a Michigan guy. But why are you just discounting Michigan? Ohio State goes to Northwestern. And don't give me the excuse about, oh, it was windy. It was raining. They've got a stable of running backs that they could turn to, yet they still throw the ball 26 times? Are you kidding me? I love pissing off Michigan. <laughs> yeah, I'll look for your text November 24, two days before that. I'm going to tell Speedy to get you on that one. Yeah, yep. yeah let's go. Maybe at that time he'll be the head coach of the Detroit Lions. Though, so. Yeah, I have to get to my PR at that time. Hopefully Dan Snyder is also gone by then, too. Maybe, Maybe you'll take over for Jeff Saturday. <laughs> you go oh. by the Washington Commanders, then you can also coach them, too. Once yeah, Dan Snyder's yeah. gone, oh, finally forced out. the irony of Ursay oh. saying that the NFL had to force Snyder out. Are you kidding me? And then he goes and hires Saturday. Hey, we're back where we started, aren't we? Oh, John, you are one piece of work. Thank you for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. We'll oh. talk to you next time. John, a.k.a. the Nutman. Jansen, or soon-to-be Lions head coach. Speedy, he's fantastic. And I say soon-to-be Commander's owner and head coach. What's Dan I don't know if he has sets. billions of dollars. He could get guys to help him out. Like he said with the Lions head coaching staff, he could just assemble a bunch of his teammates, they could all add up, and they have a reunion, and they go by the team together. He's fantastic. I love him. I always get excited when I know he's coming onto the show. He loves us, too. He's just a great personality, and maybe he does become a head coach one way or another. Maybe he'll hire us to do the play-by-play. He'll definitely be ruffling your feathers if Michigan beats always. Ohio. State. <laughs> Took shots at my Florida State. I take shots at my Florida State team. Yeah. When we come back, we have Chaz and the boys, as we have Moneyline Mania here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy PD. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the Ally News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app now, Android, and iOS, which is Apple, WWSRA. And you can download our app. You can check out all our shows throughout the week, including these guys on Wake and Bake, so definitely check that out. Every week, Sports Live Mouths, our show, and all the great shows throughout the country that we have live and in color every single week. So definitely check out the Worldwide Sports Radio Network app. We always have these guys on, and they are back. No more horse racing for the week. Chaz and Wes, as we call this segment Moneyline Mania. 
This is Moneyline Mania with Chaz and the crew. Chazzy, 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 how was the horse racing? It really depends on what side of the racing form you were on, because Wes and I had two totally different days. Wes, how are you? How's the son doing? He's doing great. Thanks for asking. He's learning how to read racing forms and cover <laughs> point spreads and grouchy at certain <laughs> times, but you know what? He's sleeping 10 to 12 hours a night, so I couldn't ask for anything better. Well, you have a wife that can sing him to sleep, so that's a good sign. It's great. She does do that. You should have Chaz's O Canada recording that you use for your show playing in the background fall asleep. Uh, you know, I have plenty of me singing O Canada ah, after, I all, after I get all rummed up. And- <laughs> <laughs> well, you are in Kansas City, and your wife is the backup singer for the Phil Collins Band. That's she great. She is, and she's actually got a performance here shortly, this evening. Just got news that there's going to be four tour dates, two of which are in Jersey in January. You guys can come and stay with us. We haven't had Wes on for a little while. He's been very, very busy, but it's slowing down, and we're happy to have him back, so why don't we get into it? When we wake up in the morning the first half probably will be over in the germany game it won't be the last time we talk about germany on this show because i've got two germany tickets for a world cup i've had seattle now i think three weeks in a row on the money line they've been getting points every week every week they're winning their team total the way we bet if you find the right opportunity there's really no other word for it you don't need to handicap five games to win five bets. You handicap one game, you win five bets. That's what Seattle's been doing. I don't check the scores. I don't turn the TV on. I open up my sportsbook account, which is still illegal here in California. Yeah, come find me. Then what I do is I check my balance, and if it's higher than it was when I went to bed, I made money while I slept. As for mayor, everybody. (laughs) What do you think, Wes? You don't touch the primetime games. What about the early morning games? Oh, no. I love the early morning games. This one is a difficult one for me to swallow because I like to watch line movement. I like to see where everybody's money is. This one opened at 10 points. Tampa was a 10-point favorite, and there's been so much action on the side that you're going with on Seattle that it is now down to two and a half, and I just can't wrap my head around taking either side. This is one I'm probably going to play live. It's 44 and a half as the over-under. I'm leaning towards the over in this game because Seattle doesn't struggle to put up points, and Tampa is probably going to start putting up points. Tampa, believe it or not, is still alive in that division, sitting at four and five right now. Brady showed up a little bit last week against a tough defense, but the odds makers are smarter than all four of us. The spread opened at 10 points. Somebody very bright made a point spread of 10 points, and I can't find a way or a reason that Tampa's even going to show up in this game, other than the fact that Brady is just more poised than what the Seattle team's going to be. That's the only true angle I can find for Tampa. I'm probably going to play this live, but the 44 and a half over looks to be the play on the 8.30 in the morning. The real NFL game that I'm interested in and I'm going with is I'm taking Buffalo. Whether Josh Allen starts or not, I'm taking Buffalo. The Minnesota pass defense is horrendous. And you could take Josh Allen out of the game. They have three capable running backs, two of which are tremendous out of the backfield, which is exactly what a Case Keenum backup quarterback needs is these little check down positive yardage to the running back. They have great receivers. Buffalo is top 10 in almost every defensive statistic that there is, including rushing. I'm laying the three points and taking Buffalo regardless of who's taking the snaps for the Bills. I like Seattle. Seattle has proven that they're a playoff contending team. I like their offensive line. I like their running game. Kenneth Walker has been fantastic since he's started after Penny got hurt for the rest of the season. I think he's the future. I think he's one of the top running backs of the future. We, we talk about Brees Hall and what he looked like before he got hurt. I think Kenneth 
Kenneth Walker is going to be right there with the Brees Halls of the world. I like what I see with Geno Smith. I think he's an MVP candidate. I think they're going to play the smacketh on Tom Brady. As far as the Buffalo Bills game, you say that Buffalo has a good running game. I don't really like their running game. I do like Diggs. I do like Gabe Davis. I think they have a tremendous amount of firepower in the open field. The offensive line looked horrible last week against the New York Jets. I know it's the New York Jets. It's a different defense than the Minnesota Vikings. Minnesota has been very overrated this year. They're a one-trick pony. They like to throw the ball to Jefferson. If you could shut down Jefferson and you give the ball to Dalvin Cook, we haven't seen a lot of Dalvin Cook. We haven't seen a lot of Thielen. Kirk Cousins depends on one guy in Jefferson. If you could shut him down, you could shut this offense down. I don't like Minnesota. I think they're highly overrated. They're the worst top team in the NFL right now. I'm not saying they have a great rush attack. I'm saying I like the okay. three running backs that they have. Mm-hmm. And I think with Josh Allen not a part of the running game, we're going to see the mix of the three running backs, which is exactly what's needed to get Case Keenum some better looks and access to digs. Everything digs. that I've heard, Josh Allen is playing in this game. He hasn't practiced all week. They're protecting him. But he will start on Sunday. Is he going to throw the ball 40 times? I don't think he's throwing the ball 40 times. I see him throwing 30 times. He threw the ball after he hurt his arm last week when Huff hit him. Down the field to Gabe Davis, almost 55 yards. And he didn't really grab his arm. So I know a lot of people are worried about this UCL situation, this nerve damage. He's already had this problem. And he never had surgery on his arm. This is not a pitcher. This is a quarterback. And they throw the ball completely different. Do I think Josh Allen will be okay? I do. The only thing that I worry about him is if he... His offensive line protects him. He cannot get hit like that like he did last week when Huff hit him because if that happens, he could be out for the season. The point spread was eight before the announcement of his UCL and the potential for Tommy John surgery. The spread is now three. I would advise anybody listening to this, if you are on the Buffalo side, lay the three before it turns into eight. The reason I like Buffalo has nothing to do with the offense. 100% looking at the defensive side. They've got the best defense last year. They've got the best defense this year. I just don't see Minnesota going in there and scoring any points. And normally, what would you have to give with Buffalo? Ten. So you give them four. 17-13 and they win. I do believe Minnesota will score. I think it'll be under 44. I could see Buffalo still scoring 21 points. I could see the Minnesota Vikings scoring 14. We're looking at potential snow. Every Buffalo game, except for one, has gone under 44 this year. Yeah. Every one. Nobody has scored 22 on them. What a game the Jets had last week. Fantastic game. and showed you why the Jets are going to be one of those favorite teams making the playoffs this year. You have shutdown quarters like DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner. You can win games. But I like Buffalo. I also liked Seattle. I don't know what's going on with Tampa. I don't know what's going on with the L.A. Rams. Everybody was expecting these teams to be Super Bowl contenders. Tom Brady decided to come back. He lost his wife. He's getting a divorce. He lost everything. Look what he came back to. He came back to a catastrophe. And then Matthew Stafford, he hasn't been the same really since the OTA started. They said there was something wrong with his arm. There must be something wrong with his arm because he can't throw the ball. Their offense in L.A. is inept. Normally, we see a Super Bowl hangover but it's the team that lost the Super Bowl. And Cincy, Cincinnati doesn't look bad at all, especially for playing in a division with Baltimore. Although for Cincinnati, Pittsburgh's coming. TJ Watt is coming back this weekend. Here very shortly, we're going to have Deshaun Watson in that division. So the hangover might come to Cincinnati, but it's unique to see the Super Bowl champion just look as mediocre at best as these Rams have looked. Horrible. After watching the Rams versus Tampa Bay last week, I wanted to fall asleep. I was sitting at the bar. I was eating my food. I'm like, I'd rather watch the Seattle game. Seattle and Arizona. That was more exciting watching Geno Smith throw the ball than watch Tom Brady and Matthew Stafford, arguably two top-end quarterbacks, going 
at it and nobody gave a crap. And that's why the it, Germany game is the Geno Smith show it, and then just some guy named Tom Brady. Isn't it great to watch Geno, though? People forget that Geno Smith had West Virginia number one ranked at one point. There was a game that Geno threw 38 of 41. Mm-hmm. That is difficult to do against air. And he did it against Power 5 football team. Geno can ball. No, he can. What a different quarterback he is now. Polished, not going to make the mistakes to beat you. If you make a mistake in the NFL, you really can't overcome those. These teams are too good to overcome making mistakes, especially if you're giving up the ball in the red zone turnovers. What about the Jeff Saturday show? I am on Indy, and I got it when it was at 6, and it's kind of all over the place. Indy does not have a bad roster. That is a good collection of talent that is underperforming. And what a great time to play against the Raiders. I don't care where that game takes place. Our buddy John from GMF would probably tell us what the feel is like in that stadium. But I bet that there's 40% visiting fans in that stadium just taking a weekend in Vegas. But I've always had this rule with sports betting. When a head coach gets fired, take that team the following week Mm. if the roster's worth anything. And Indy has arguably the best running back in football, but at minimum a top three. They got some capable receivers. They got some good names on defense. And they're playing against a very terrible team. And now they're going to bring Jeff Saturday into the building. Reggie Wayne was already on staff. There was a lot made of Reggie Wayne and and the fact that he didn't get a look. But Saturday is going to bring some energy into that place. I don't know how they finish, but I like them to get an outright win this week. The Raiders in their franchise history, which has been since 1960, that through last year, they blew five seven. 17 plus point leads. This year they've blown three. Josh McDaniel. He'll be back with New England before you know it. You know where he needs to go if he wants to learn how to be a head coach and go to head coach rehab? He needs to take himself to Bama. St. Nick doesn't rehab him. He just provides a safe place for them. Oh my God, all the Bama fans would love it. They would want Bill O'Brien gone in a heartbeat. You go to Bama and you somehow come out the other end smelling rosy. Adam Gase was very close to being the Bama offensive coordinator about a year ago. Now he's coaching high school ball. Sunday night, Monday night game, I did a parlay. First player to score parley, and I hit the one. Kansas City, whoever scored the touchdown. But I had him with Drake for Baltimore. It was 149 to 1. I had to spend the whole day Monday live on a 149 to 1 shot. The dude ended up getting two touchdowns, but it wasn't the first one. But sports betting, West, you don't get a lot of 149 to 1 shots. We get them, you know, every day in the horse racing, but you don't get a lot in sports betting. You sure don't. I remember the Super Bowl a couple years ago. Mark Cuban, that placed a large bet on the first score of the game being a safety back in the Seattle then. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was reminded of it because the first score of USC Colorado, the first score was a safety. And the Giants Patriots, the second Super Bowl, the first score was a safety. Yeah. I remember that one. Somebody won a lot of money. How much did Mark Cuban win? I thought he bet a million on it. He made a lot of money. Even to him, that's a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> that's a set of balls. Uh, you can do that. I wouldn't yeah. be doing that. Not with a million dollars. I don't care how much money I have. I'm not putting a million dollars on a safety. How many times do you see a safety? When crypto was rocking and cannabis was just getting legal and these young kids were just having boatloads of cash. They do stuff like that. And you know somewhere there's a 28-year-old kid that is saying, I had $4 million and I bet it on a game. If you're young and the cash is flowing, you do stupid stuff with it. Seems like Mark Cuban isn't stupid. He's I know. A different breed. The only way to win the lottery is to buy a ticket. In California, somebody did and won $1.9 billion. Chaz, you could use that as leverage when you run for mayor. I would have loved yeah, to be that go. guy. That's not even life-changing money. That's family generational changing money. Yeah. You know? What about the Sunday night? We got the Chargers in San Francisco. These are both teams, right, playing for playoff position. And then Monday we got Washington and Philly. Now, their two records are totally different, but they're against the spread records. 
which is really all Wes and I care about, are really pretty close. They're a half game different. Seven points is a lot. They're both coming off of some time off. The Niners is probably where I would go if I had to. They have a way better roster. They're loaded on offense. They now have had a bye week to figure out what they're going to do with C-Mac. They didn't even know what they were doing with him a couple weeks ago when he threw one, caught one, ran one. So Garoppolo can manage the game with all that talent. Seven's a lot, but if I have to choose, there's no way I'm betting against that Niners roster, and there's certainly no way I'm going to put anything on that coach for the Chargers. Wouldn't you think that another week with that guy, Debo Samuel's not a slob, right? He's a pretty good offensive threat. You have another week with that guy, and then all of a sudden, you're not getting the pounding. McCaffrey got beat up. His whole career, he got beat up. If you say you're only getting 15 touches, but you might end up getting as much yardage as you did when you were getting 30 touches, that means you're not getting hit 15 times, and those guys get hit. Running backs get hit. The Chargers also allowed 201 rushing yards last week to Atlanta, who doesn't really have the greatest running backs in the world. They have a couple good rookies, but they're not Christian McCaffrey, Elijah Mitchell, and even Debo Samuel. Could and Lana well looked too. horrible on Thursday. I, I still can't believe that game didn't go over. They had all the yards. They just moved up and down the field, and then they yeah, shot Yeah, because the defender, the, had, the defender had to fumble on when he recovered the ball after after yeah. Eckler fumbled. Those Thursday night games just miserable. Don't worry, Chad. When you become mayor, you can force the Spanos to sell the Chargers. Kill him, yes. I was miserable. <laughs> I was sitting in a sauna the other day, and one of the guys was listening to me. I was getting ready for my radio show, so I was running home, and then he said, who do you have, Carolina or Atlanta? I said, give me Atlanta and tell your guy that they're covering. And what happens? They lose... And, and Carolina covers. They should have listened to you, Wes. Don't bet the primetime games. I still was shocked that Carolina did that 21-3 thing to Tampa. The week after they lost their best player, he was like a third of their offense. Hey, right. Wes, we didn't talk Sunday football. We, we got Sunday not. football. They count. The you two know, most important games. We haven't talked about it yet. And I hope that there's at least one listener out there that cares about what's going on north of the border because it's very exciting and it is my strongest sport. I picked Toronto Argos to win the Great Cup in the CFL playoffs. And so we're in our conference finals right now. The long shot pick that I have at this point, I'm taking the Argos money line. But the surprising one is I'm taking BC against Winnipeg. It's a five-point spread. Winnipeg, two in a row, going for a three-peat Great Cup champions. They have not played meaningful football since right around September. The last time they played a game that wasn't to clinch their division, it was against Edmonton, which means nothing. So at this point last year, their quarterback threw three interceptions in a game coming back from the bye. And now they're going up against Nathan Rourke. Those of you that follow the MAC, the University of Ohio, Nathan Rourke would be the most outstanding player in the CFL had he not get, gotten injured. So I'm taking the five points. I'm also taking money line. I like BC to walk into Winnipeg in a tremendous upset and take them down. And I also like Toronto on the money line. And I think we're looking at a BC Toronto Grey Cup. The Easy Sports data is struggling with betting against Winnipeg. Well, we talked about it on Saturdays in Canada. Get up, smoke a bunt, long hit, whatever you got to do, wake and bake because it makes the day a little better. And then listen on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network to Wake and Bake because we'll be covering the Grey Cup. But every single game since August, the team that has played in Winnipeg has scored less points culminating the last home game they had nine points so it started at like 20 something then it went to 19 then 16 then 12 then nine winnipeg's got a good defense and i've always loved defenses when i'm looking to win championships there's a non-cfl stat i want to throw out there 52 and 28 that is the record of all underdogs of three points or more in the nfl this year if you just simply take every underdog and the points 
over three. That's the kind of NFL season that we're looking at. Pretty much the influence of legalized sports betting and uneducated money entering the spectrum. You did, right? You bet them. We did dog money line. Decided, what if we bet every underdog and just pick the money line? And I wanted to keep it at 20 bucks a week. That account before the action was laid for this week was up to $37. Right around 94% return on investment. Has anybody checked their 401ks lately? We'd love to have a 94% return on investment in, in the 401k, especially in everything that's going on in today's world. I love it. And every week, there are four or five teams in the NFL that win the game, and they were plus money. We're going to see a lot of surprises because the NFL has been a very tricky season. Very impressed with some of these teams, like Seattle, like the Jets, even Atlanta. Nobody thought Atlanta was going to have four wins right now. A lot of these teams that you wouldn't expect being in the races that they are. Teams like the Green Bay Packers that should be there are falling apart. And even Minnesota. A lot of people didn't think that they were any good defensively. There's always going to be surprise teams. The Jets are a great story. You got Buffalo that comes out in September and goes 41-7 to over Tennessee and then loses 21-19 to to Miami the following week. You got the Chiefs that come out and hang 44 points on the Niners hanging over 20 on that defense. You better write down that date in the calendar because that's a great defense and then the Chiefs come out the following week in primetime at home loudest stadium in the league and they struggle against Tennessee for most of the first half trying to figure out which one of these great teams is going to not show up at the right time that's the wildest thing and the NFL is so wide open it's probably the most wide open we've ever seen it in a very long time I've studied the numbers for a long time and it's always been a classic bell curve there were five or six or seven teams at the top five or six or seven teams at the bottom teams that clinched early the teams that were out of it early and everybody else was in the middle seven and nine to nine and seven and now of course there's an extra game not this year it's like a big square there's like three or four good teams three or four really bad teams everybody else is four and five or five and four well we really appreciate you guys joining us as always doing your thing and if you guys haven't listened to this segment well you're not making any money because these guys are the best handicappers in the country so many different guys with so much knowledge football baseball hockey basketball college sports world cups coming Paolo with the women went 27 and one wow a lot of people don't want to bet 27 and one when they're all minus 300 or minus 400 if you're cashing a ticket. All that matters is you got more money in your pocket than you start. I like Paulo. Like Wes, not afraid to take a, a big money line play. He does the same thing. We missed Wes and we're happy to have him back and we're happy to have you guys as always every single week. Last week you weren't there because you're betting on horses and now this week you're back so check out Moneyline Mania every single week on the Weekend Crunch. Always be cash. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get some MLB conversation as the Yankees qualifying offers to Judge and Rizzo and the Mets with their qualifying offers with DeGrom, Bassett, and Nimmo. DeGrom might be on his way to the Texas Rangers, and Aaron Judge might be going out west to San Francisco. When we come back, we'll get into some Yankees and Mets. Winter meetings are around the corner here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Aaron Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only 
on 103.9, the Ally News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app now on Android and iOS, WWSRN. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, I know you know that track. It's Edwin Diaz. His introduction song. It is a funny song. I do know the song before the song became popular as a DJ out here on Long Island. But yeah, it's become a a world-renowned song throughout the country because of the great Edwin Diaz and a very rich Edwin Diaz getting a five-year $100 million contract, which makes him the highest paid reliever in MLB history. So I know all the Mets fans are very excited about that. But I know a lot of people are sitting here today and they're wondering what's going to happen with Aaron Judge. And the MVP voting is not done and he's probably going to win. And so will Paul Goldschmidt. Both guys won the Hank Aaron Award. The questions are going to be answered a lot sooner than people think. Everything that we've heard when free agency starts to open up, and I know everybody says after the winter meetings everything starts to open up. I think Aaron Judge will be signed wherever he goes before the winter meetings. So I believe in the next week, week and a half he will be signed either with the Yankees, San Francisco, Boston. I think he already knows where he's going. The Yankees could give him whatever he wants. I think he wants to go home. And a lot of people are going to say, well, what are the Yankees going to do? I think Yoshida is a guy that could fit very well for the New York Yankees at left field. He's a left-handed hitter. He hits for some power. He hits all over the field. He's a Japanese superstar. I know a lot of Japanese superstars that have come to the Yankees pitching-wise haven't succeeded, but the last pretty good bat that we've seen come from Japan came to the Yankees, Hideki Matsui, who was a fantastic hitter. They're going to have a lot of money off the board because they don't have to pay Aaron Judge that $300 million contract, so maybe they save some money. They wait for Soto and Otani when they become available next year, maybe they get both of them. No matter what, the Yankees will be competitive. I know a lot of Judge fans don't want to see him go, but I don't think it has anything to do with the Yankees. I think that has something to do with him and his family and where he wants to raise his kids. Josh, I know you're a Met fan. There are stories coming out that Jacob DeGrom has spoken, and he said that he wouldn't mind going to Texas and making the money that they're probably going to overspend on him. 150, 170, five-year, six-year deal, which is what he wants. What are your thoughts to Jacob DeGrom heading over there down south? I'm actually one of the few that are those guys that say, I'm not giving this guy a five or six year deal worth $175 million. That's insane. That's pure stupidity on the Mets to do something like that with a guy that it's not like the guy wasn't getting paid the last couple of years. I understand he was getting what, 138, 140. That's not chump change. He wants what his value is. Here's the thing though. When he was given that contract in 2019, how much of that has he pitched with that? And how much did the Mets pay? him to not pitch when he was getting that contract. He wants what Max Scherzer got. The Mets are not going to go down this five or six year path with him for 175. And it goes even back to the Yankees with Aaron Judge. It's the same situation. If Aaron Judge gets an eight year deal worth $360 million with the San Francisco Giants, I'd let him walk out the door. Have a good one. See you later. Thank you so much for the memories. We greatly appreciate it. You spend that money elsewhere to other needs and to other depth that you can obtain. Now, is there a lot of free agency for the Mets to get in the starting pitching market? No, there's not. I mean, you have Carlos Rodon 
Braun, who's had his own injury concerns in the past. Maybe there's some trade candidates that could be out there. I know I've heard Milwaukee is going to maybe try to start rebuilding their team with Corbin Burns and Brendan Woodruff maybe possibly being available. I've heard possibly Shane Bieber could be picked at the right price. I mean, we know the Mets have a good relationship with the, with the Guardians with the Francisco Lindor trade, and it worked out for both teams. The Mets have other holes. They have other needs they need to fix. If I give my money all to Jacob DeGrom, it's going to be very difficult for this front office. I don't care how much money Steve Cohen has. There's always a tipping point to it. There's always a budget to where we need to end it. That's going to have to be the decision that the New York Mets are going to have to make. Is it going to be a tough, excruciating decision to see him go? 100%. I don't see the Atlanta Braves giving him a five or six year deal worth 170. The Texas Rangers will do it. Chris Young has already said, the GM of the Rangers has already said that we're going to be focusing on starting pitching. The Mets could take that 170. They could go out and get a starting pitcher or two. They could go out and get bullpen help. They could get an outfielder. They could do other things. If I give my money to Jacob DeGrom and I'm putting all my money into DeGrom and Scherzer, that's going to be very tough to build around because that's a lot of money you're investing in these guys. And I can't invest a five-year deal in Jacob DeGrom when he hasn't been healthy at all. And even when he came back this year, he was great when he first came back, but then struggled down the stretch. You saw it. I'll bring up Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge has really struggled in the postseason. The guy struck out 17 times this past year. He had an amazing, unbelievable great season. The thing that was really peculiar was the booing during the playoffs. And Yankee fans were upset, but they booed this guy. And I never believe in booing players. Booing doesn't help anything. To boo a guy that had a historically great baseball season, one of the best of all time, and then to boo him when he's struggling, it's not going to make things better. And it wasn't just him that struggled. The entire team struggled. Anthony Rizzo struggled. Giancarlo Stanton struggled. The only guy that really came up clutch in that playoff run this year, getting wise, was probably Harrison that was one of the very few guys that came out clutch. The same thing with the Yankees. If the Yankees and they let Aaron Judge walk, you could go on, you could sign a Brandon Nimmo, Josh Bell, and put him in that lineup with that short porch in right field because he's a switch hitter. If they got Brandon Nimmo and Josh Bell and they brought in the Japanese outfielder, you bring in those three guys that the Judge contract is. You can't sit there and tell me, boy, that money was used a lot better than on one player. You got three really good players. You got a DH who could play first base. You got a center fielder. Or you could put him in right field, left field, in Nimmo, and you get an outfielder, so you're filling two spots. I think Nimmo will be too expensive for the Yankees to go He'll up. be about 105, 110 with Boris as his I think clients. he's going to get more. If he gets more, it's so iffy. But you can use that money that you're going to give the judge, and you could get three or four players. I would save that money. I would add Yoshida. If the Yankees could sign three or four other guys with that money, you're giving one I, guy. I, and the problem is, if you do sign Judge to that contract, you're putting all your money into Judge, Stan, and, and Cole. How are you building with those three ginormous contracts of $330 plus million in those? those three guys. It's impossible. You can't. I'm worried to give Jacob DeGrom that contract because then I got to give Lindor that deal, DeGrom getting his deal. After that, everybody else is off the books. Scherzer's off the books, Escobar, Canna. You have to be particular with what you're doing with that money. I know there's no salary cap in baseball. There's a luxury tax. And the thing of it is people get hit with these taxes with the draft you're seeing it. Apparently, if the Mets sign somebody with a qualifying offer, they lose their second and fifth round pick. Major League Baseball is basically saying, yeah, we want it to be competitive, but we don't want it to be too competitive. I 
Manfred has made this whole thing. It's just so dumb. If he goes to the Yankees, as long as he's not a Kayagawa, then you're fine. Every single Japanese bat the Yankees have brought in have succeeded. And the one the Mets brought in was Shiyoshi Shinjo wasn't too bad. He was okay. Kaz Matsui was a complete flop. And they literally moved Jose Reyes second base just to appease the guy. Yashida! What's the one thing Kaz Matsui did it every year? Every single year on opening day in his first at-bat, he had a home run. Wow, no, I didn't know that. His first two years with the Mets, he had a home run in his first at-bat. Everybody kept saying, this is going to be it for Matsui. This is it. We're psyched. And he sucked. My brother bought me his jersey as a kid. So I, I think if they don't keep Aaron Judge, I wouldn't spend too much money this offseason. You're going to say because of Soto yes, and Otani. 100%. Go heavily after the big stars next year because they will be available and then stock up in the offseason next year. Be smarter. Even if it's a season where you're not going to win 98 to 100 games, if you win 90 games, you're a wild card team. You lose in the wild card. Go into the offseason next year and then you start spending some of your big bucks. I don't overpay for Bell or Nimmo. Don't overpay for players that aren't going to help your team get over the hump. You need stars. Stars win ball games. The Mets and the Yankees are going to be in the playoffs every year. This is going to be a new norm. It's a matter of, are they going to get over the hump? And you saw it this year. I picked the Atlanta Braves. I said, easy, they're going to the World Series. Arrow, I know you really like the St. Louis Cardinals. It's a crapshoot. Well, Nobody had the Phillies going to the World Series. Nobody I did. did. Cardinals were my team that I thought was going to the World Series. I the Phillies were doing But if the Cardinals get knocked out, I'm taking the Phillies to the World Series. Can we just point out how stupid Rob Thompson was in that game six? Oh my God. If you're going to pull your pitcher... And the Yankees did the same thing in Game 3 when they pulled Cole. I always say this. When you pull your pitcher, you better make sure the guy you're bringing in is better than the guy you're taking out. You never, ever bring in a reliever with the bases loaded. You have a small margin of error that if this reliever has no control, you're so screwed. I said you win with your best and you lose with your best. Every single time. When it happened 2015, when Harvey was in, they were winning with Harvey and they lost with Harvey. I said, fine, you won with your best and you lost with your best. Rob Thompson, he took out Zach Wheeler at 71 pitches, who was cruising, gave up a hit. He wanted Everado, which he had this love affair with this guy. Have him face Jordan Alvarez, which, by the way, when you look at the splits, Jordan Alvarez hit lefty pitching very well and hit Alvarado really well. And I said the moment he took Wheeler out, I said the Phillies are losing this game. That was a disaster by Thompson. At 71 pitches to pull Zach Wheeler? Are you kidding me? What are you saving him for? Your season's on the line. Made a mistake. Oh, dude, he made a mistake. He cost him the series, dude. Congratulations to the Phillies, even if they didn't wear the, wor- oh, the World Oh, screw series. the Phillies. Foo Phillies. Ugh, terrible Philadelphia. Congratulations Smells to like the Smells like cheesesteaks over Phillies. there. Oh, whatever. I like cheesesteaks. I'll go over I do anyway. too, but you could get them anywhere you want now. Yeah. You don't even have to go to Philadelphia. Jersey Mike's, baby. That's it. Jersey Mike's. Let me tell you, I went to Philadelphia a couple years ago with, with Melissa, and it was so funny. We walked into a 76ers game, and the guy gave us free courtside seat tickets. We had VIP tickets and everything. It was great. For free? For free. We got cheap $20 seats because they were hard. That was when the trust the process crap was going on. Oh, yeah. And the guy said, hey, you want free tickets? And we were right on the court. I said to Melissa, you won't get these seats at Madison Square Garden, so you might <laughs> as well take them now. <laughs> when we come back, we got some hockey as the Islanders. Red hot. They did lose a game against Phoenix, but they're playing great hockey right now. And the New York Rangers picking up their game. Both New York teams playing pretty good hockey. When we come back, we'll get into some hockey and some courage time. Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crouch. 
Remember, you can listen to us every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS and Android. WWSRN. Check out all our shows throughout the country. Check out the Sports Loudmouths with me and Speedy every Wednesdays and Thursdays. On Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Thursdays at 9 p.m. It's a great show, three-hour show. Some of the great guests in the country. So definitely check out our shows and all the stories that we write. It's fan-friendly. It's free. It's easy. Check it out. Download it. 26,000 downloads throughout the country. Thank you to all the fans that listen to us throughout the world. New York hockey's been pretty good. For the Islanders, it has been. How many comebacks? They've been fantastic. Sorokin, even Valamov, pulling off that win against the New York Rangers in Madison Square Garden. It's been fun to watch. They did lose against Phoenix the other day. Tonight's game was fun to watch. They're high-flying, and, and they could score goals. I believe they have the best goalie in the league in Sorokin. This team is, is firing on all cylinders, and by the way, their defense is as good as anybody thought they were going to be under Lambert. I think Lambert has won his team over. Now, back Barry Trotz, I believe, is one of the great coaches we've seen in the NHL in a very, very long time. And right now he's sitting and he's relaxing and he's still making his money. The Islanders are still paying him. But they didn't make a mistake with this guy, Lambert. He's a little bit younger. He has this team playing offensively and defensively. I don't see anything wrong with this. what this team is playing. Now, Lou Lamorellos did strike out in the offseason. He did. He didn't find that offensive player with Barzell. Has it really shown? Now, Barzell doesn't have any goals. He's still, what, amongst the league's best in assists? He's amongst the league in points. He has not one goal. 15 15 assists. It's been unbelievable. And it's not about goals. It's all about getting the points and getting his team involved. This is a guy that just got an eight-year, $76 million contract. He is their superstar. If the Islanders can find another player to play with him, take the pressure off of him, this kid is as good as any player in the NHL right now. Speed, ability, puck handling skills. Uh, he's fun to watch, and, and this team is fun to watch. Anders Lee right now is amongst the league's best in goals and in points. Brock Nelson is getting hot again. I mean, this is a fun team, Speedy. It really is. And Matthew Barzell doesn't really have to do any of that if everyone else keeps scoring goals until really somebody else stops them on a consistent basis. The Islanders have done a better, much better job with pace and spacing this year, and a lot of that has to do with Lane Lambert. Barry Trotz's system was more old school. They were a very slow team when it came to skating, when it came to the passing the puck. They were strategic, yeah, and they were smart but they weren't really fast, and now they've seen it a lot with Lambert. But also, the Islanders have still not done a lot of the things they did well with in the past, though, either. They're still scoring a lot of the tough goals, like you were saying with Andres Lee. He's very good with that kind of thing. Brock Nelson's always been good with that kind of thing. And their defense is still fantastic. Ilya Sorokin is fantastic. And it's a good sign for the Islanders what they're doing late in games, too. For a young team to be this confident, how they play in the third period is a very good sign for a lot of those young players, especially for the defensemen. It's just fun to watch. And if you're an Islander fan, if you're a Ranger fan, now the Rangers have been back and forth. And Shesterkin is not the same goalie he was last year. He's not. But that doesn't take away how talented he is. He will figure things out. He can't be as talented as he was last year and not be the same player he is this year. But we've seen this before. Sometimes goaltenders get into these little slumps and they need to figure things out. But the Rangers are too talented, too talented not to make the playoffs this year. Even with the game that Fox had where they won 8-2 to two the other day and he had one goal and three assists, mm-hmm. he had his best game. He will figure things out. He's too 
good not to figure things out. I've been telling everybody, and I'll go back to this whole Kreider thing. When Kreider scored 50 goals last year, they should trade him in the offseason. He is at his highest right now. Trade him at his highest. Get as much as you can for him. They didn't do that, and, and now you're going into this season. He's not scoring goals like he did last year. He's having problems offensively. So that's been the problem for the New York Rangers is their first line isn't scoring like it was last year. Panarin has played well. I like what Panarin is doing. Zabinijad has been pretty good. So everybody else, they're on, they're off. They're on, they're off. That's going to be the problem. They have to be more consistent. I know it's early in the season, but they have to be more consistent. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is the experimentation with the younger players. We've talked about it at the beginning of the season, the rumors of them breaking up the kid line for what they did in the playoffs. And so far, Capo Caco has been the best when it came to playing with that first line with Panarin and Zibanejad. And sometimes we've seen Kreider and Zibanejad mix it up with Panarin on the second line and made it work. And Gallant's still trying to figure that kind of thing out with the younger players. But I think the spacing and the, the, uh, the chemistry has still been good. And yeah, it hasn't produced massive point totals yet for those guys. Lafreniere is seven, Caco is six right now. But I think it'll definitely be able to be a work in progress to get in later in the season. Philip Heedle just came back. He has six points on the year. Is off to a good start. The defense is what I'm a little more concerned with it because the veterans have still had their issues. Now, Fox offensively has been great. Already has 16 points. But defensively, it's not really his speed. It's more his awareness that I think has been a little off this year. Keandre Miller had a hot start to the year, but has made some mistakes recently as well. And... The injury to Ryan Lindgren, I think, has really hindered his game, too, for what he was last season, where he was one of the few defensemen in the league with 100-plus hits and blocks. That's a big difference for Adam Fox, who's also struggling defensively, too, and relied a lot on Lindgren to help him out as well. And the forwards defensively, too, have been a little bit iffy as well, which was an issue for the Rangers against Tampa in the playoffs. So they got to find that groove again, too, if they want to get back to the The form. secret for the Rangers is Shesterkin getting hot again. If he can get hot again, which I believe he will, they'll start going on five, six-game winning streaks. I expect the Rangers to be competitive and get into the playoffs either as a wild-card team. I didn't think they were a top-two team. I said they weren't a top-two team. And a lot of people put the Islanders down this year, that they weren't good enough. This is the same Islander team that last year were the favorites of winning the Stanley Cup in a lot of people's eyes. This year, I think they made that team a little bit more younger. They added Romanoff and all those other pieces that they brought in in the offseason and signed. I think the Islanders are one player away from being a contender. They need another offensive piece. If they can get an offensive piece to play with Barzell at the trade deadline, watch out for the New York Islanders. They have the goaltending. They have the defense. They just need that other goal scorer to help out the pressure and take the pressure off of some of those lines that the Islanders sometimes fall like they were against Phoenix. Uh, how do you lose against Phoenix right. on your home ice? You're losing one to nothing, and then you give up the empty goal. They didn't score in that game, and that's a big problem. You cannot go in these games and not be able to put the puck in the net. How about Jack Eichel, man? I told you, yeah, you Rangers should have traded for him. This kid is for real. He is really good, and he's 26 years old. He's finally 100% healthy. Got nine goals and 10 assists. He ranks 10th right now in the league in points. Watch out. I mean, Connor McDavid's fantastic. Oh, of course. I mean, 15 goals, 16 assists. I mean, some of his goals are arcade-like. Crazy how good he is. Yeah. And by the way, Connor McDavid and, and Jack Eichel, they're in the top 10, and they went 1-2 in their draft. We all know what the top 10 players, Kucherov, and this kid Robertson looks really good, too. Yeah. From Jason Robertson, the 23-year-old yes. Yeah, he Dallas. was good last year, too. He's carried it over nicely. Pasternak, who's third right now in the league with points, and Dreisaitl. I mean... Could you imagine you have the two best players in the league, McDavid and Dreisaitl, and this is a team that can't win a Stanley Cup? <laughs> yeah, you were saying to trade Dreisaitl in the offseason. I, I would have. Yeah. I would have. 
I would have traded him to the Islanders. I can get Drysdale. I trade Barzell. Even though I love Barzell and his speed, could you imagine Barzell and Connor McDavid? That that would be scary. Oh my god, yeah. I don't even think I would want to see that as an Islander fan. But yeah, it's fun right now. It's still very very early, but. Wow, Connor McDavid already has 15 goals and 16 assists, 31 points. And what are they in? 15 games already, and he has 31 points. He's averaging two points a game. It's that's insane. It's insane. That's that's Gretzky like. That's right. Lemieux. Gretzky's the only one who's done that in his career for a full season. <laughs> that's Lemieux like, yeah. and and the way the game is now, it it's unheard of. Right. So we expected this kid, and the kid that could be drafted at number one this year. Some people say he's better than Connor. It's going to be fun to watch. It really is. Mm-hmm. All right, Speedy, what do we got? Kerenstein. It's time for crunch time. It's crunch time. So while everyone, here we go. So while everybody is talking about the uh, Josh Allen injury as being the storyline of the Bills and the Vikings, one thing that is not mentioned a lot is the Stefan Diggs revenge game, and that first round pick became Justin Jefferson. So buy or sell, those two guys will both have five plus catches at 100 plus yards. I'm buying it. I'm both teams right now, secondary are not healthy. White's not going to, going to be back this week. Elon got hurt last week against the Jets. Both teams are very dry on the cornerback side and secondary side. So I expect a lot of high-flying offense. I do believe Diggs and Jefferson will have five catches over 100 yards. I'm going to sell it for the reason of, I think the game plan against the Vikings is still going to be simplified a little bit for Josh Allen, where I don't think you're going to get as many long passes. I think you're going to rely a lot more on the yards after the catch. I don't think you're going to take as many deep shots in this game like you would normally attack with the Vikings secondary. I definitely think Jefferson does because Cousins does like to target him a lot. He's getting consistently eight-plus targets a game, but I don't know if Diggs does just because of that. I still think the Bills win the game, but I am going to sell that Diggs gets 100. All right, buy or sell. Kyrie Irving will be suspended for at least 20 games. I'm going to sell it because he could be back on Sunday. I I don't understand the league. I don't understand ownership. I don't know why this guy is even playing another game this year after what he did, but I'm going to sell it. He is not going to be suspended for 20 games. I'm going to buy it, but I think they're going to realize that they made a mistake on this kind of thing, and it's a lot worse than they get. I think there's going to be a lot of owners that are, be like you're saying, Jewish owners that are be really disappointed. I, I don't think it'll be all at once, but I do think the compilation of it will eventually come to that with what he did, so I am going to actually buy that one. All right, buy or sell. Aaron Judge will get less than a seven-year deal. I'm going to sell that. Because I think San Francisco, they've already come out and said that they'll give him an eight-year, $300 million contract. There's nobody that's going to outbid him. And I think they'll do whatever it takes to get this guy over there in the Bay City. So... I am going to sell it. Yeah, I'm going to sell it, too. I, th- I think the seven-year deal is definitely the pinnacle of what the Giants have wanted. I can definitely see them adding the extra eight. And the only other team that I think would end up in a bidding war with that kind of thing might be the Red Sox if they don't re-sign Devers or Bogarts. And maybe they want to steal them. They think they're going to steal them from the Yankees, even though I don't know if the Yankees would do that kind of thing. But I still think they'll push for that kind of thing. I'm going to sell that as well. All right, buy or sell. Either TCU or Michigan will stay undefeated for the rest of the season. I think Michigan has the best chance to stay undefeated out of the to. I like what I see with TCU. TCU could lose this week as we spoke to John Jansen about this. He, he said that they have a big upcoming game and TCU, they could have lost in a couple of games this year. They took it all the way to overtime, what, in two or three of the games yep. and they won. So you play with fire, the fire starts to burn. So I'm going to buy, if there's any team that's going to do it, it's Michigan. I'm going to take the opposite course. I'm going to buy TCU, though, because I do think TCU has, you're right, they've been a little ahead of the curve. They're not an overly talented team, so they grinded out a lot of wins. But, again, those overtime wins were still pretty impressive when it, when it comes to beating an undefeated Oklahoma State team as well. And then 
sealing it late against a Kansas State team that's very good, too. So it shows they have grit. I think they'll end up beating Texas. What, what I'm scared about with Michigan is Ohio State. That's sure. it. Uh, now, again, I have to see how the rest of the track record plays out before I pick that game. Ohio State's shown some deficiencies on defense that I'm worried about. I think Michigan's a little better all around, but Ohio State's got the better quarterback, so that could definitely be a difference maker. So uh, I'm going to go flip-flop. I'll buy TCU. All right. Buy or sell. The Islanders will stay top two in the Metropolitan Division in goal scoring for at least the next two months. I'm going to sell that. I don't believe that. I think they're going to go in a, in a slump when it comes to goal scoring, and that's going to show Lou that he is going to have to make a move at the trade deadline to bring in another offensive firepower to help this team go over the hump and get themselves into the playoffs. They're very talented defensively, and right now they're, they're scoring on all cylinders. But no, I do not believe they'll be in the top two when it comes to goal scoring. Yeah, I'm going to sell it, too. I think there's going to be other teams that still are going to heat up. The Islanders right now are two behind the Devils. I don't know if the Devils will even last that long, but I do think Carolina. Pittsburgh's still scoring a lot, too. Their defense has been more of their problem, so I think they'll stay in that boat. So I'm going to sell that as well. All right, one more. Both Christian McCaffrey and Austin Eckler will have 80-plus rushing yards and 50-plus receiving yards. I'm going to buy it. I think these these guys are the two most prolific offensive running backs in the league. They could do everything. I also like Dalvin Cook, but I don't know what's going on with Minnesota. They're not feeding the beast any of the ball. They're giving the ball, but not giving him enough because they have to give everything to Jefferson. But, uh, yes, I believe both guys are more than qualified to do that in a game where I think it's going to be highly open. So I'm going to buy it. I am going to sell it. I do not think Eckler gets the rushing yards because I do think that Niners front is very physical. Eckler's a smaller back, not known for his power as much. The Chargers have a lot of those injuries on the offensive line. Now, I definitely think Eckler gets the receiving yards because he has been highly targeted since Keenan Allen's been hurt. Now Mike Williams is hurt too. So I definitely think he gets that. McCaffrey, I think, gets both. This is a great matchup for him. The Chargers are really banged up up front and really bad against the run as it is. But I I don't think Eckler gets the rushing yards against that very tough 49ers front, so I am going to sell that. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I hope everybody had a good time. Thank you to John Jansen. Fantastic. If you haven't checked him out, go check out his broadcast. He is the radio voice of the Michigan Wolverines. He's fantastic. Every single Saturday, he will be shaking and baking over there in Michigan. It's going to be fun. As you know, he's a big Jim Harbaugh fan, as well as I am. Thank you to all the fans that listen to us throughout the country. Thank you to Moneyline Mania. Chaz and Wes, as always, Wes back. Congratulations on your son's birth and everything that you've done with your career as a chef and as a handicapper. You guys are fantastic. Thank you. Keep listening to us. We are the voices of Long Island Sports Radio on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. By the way, happy Veterans Day to all the soldiers, all the people that fought for us throughout the years and and throughout the country. Thank you for all the veterans that have stood out for us and and really protected us through thick and thin. Thank you to everybody else. Absolutely. I want to salute my grandfather. He was a veteran and served in Korea for six years, so salute to him. I salute my grandfather, too, who fought in Korea. Mm-hmm. Four Purple Hearts, two gold stars. He was a war hero, one of my heroes, too. So for all the veterans that lost their lives and all the veterans still fighting to protect us and keep us safe, thank you to all. We will be back next week. Shout out to the Islanders. Keep winning, baby. Keep winning. We'll talk to you next week. Good night.